Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. Today's scripture comes from Ephesians chapter 6. Listen for the word of God. Our ears are open. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Imagine with me this morning that you are sitting around a table, enjoying a delicious meal, engaging in good conversation. Who is at that table with you? What kind of speech is flowing between you and your loved ones, your friends, your family, your colleagues? Think about the meals that you've had in your life, from required work events to school fundraisers, big family Thanksgivings. Maybe they're joy-filled. Maybe some are awkward or even painful. We regularly gather with folks around tables, engaging in conversation, everything from small talk to deep intimacy and everywhere in between. Who's at your table? When I started out in ministry 15 years ago now, I was an associate minister at Peachtree Road United Methodist Church in Buckhead, not too far from here. It's a huge church, thousands of members, around 70 staff members. So we had many, many occasions to eat meals together. I probably ate with church folks four to, time, four to five times a week. Wednesday lunch and dinner were offered by the kitchen staff. We had staff gatherings and parties. Once a month, there were Sunday lunches following worship. Uh, I was minister with senior adults, and every Tuesday, we had lunch and programming together. We ate a lot. Each time, of course, someone would pray with us before the meal. 
laity, clergy, giving thanks to God for the day, for the people around the table, for the food, remembering those who don't have enough to eat, praying a blessing on our bodies and our souls. It was all standard grace protocol. While I was serving there, we had a change in our senior minister, and the Reverend Bill Brick came. He's still there. Early in his tenure, he gathered all the staff, close to 70 of us, in a large room so that we could have a staff lunch with each other. And he gave a beautiful standard grace. But then, then he said this line that I will never forget. He said, in God, may our speech around the table be edifying and to your glory so that everything we say gives praise to you. Amen. I have to admit that the first time I heard it, I actually said kind of a big gulp instead of an amen. It's one thing to give thanks to God for our food and the people who are there. It can be another for our whole time together to be reflective of God's desire for our speech and our conduct and our thoughts and our actions, especially because I was sitting next to a colleague um, and there was someone who had acted out that week and frankly, we were pretty angry and we wanted to spend a little time venting and gossiping about him. But that simple prayer made both of us look inward. We analyzed what we really wanted to get out of our meal together. So we kind of laughed nervously and instead of gossiping during the meal, we had edifying speech, the prayer worked. Now, my second confession is that later on that afternoon, away from everybody else, we did engage in some gossip in our offices that afternoon, and it didn't glorify anybody. Over time, I got really used to Bill's prayer because he said it before every single meal. If he was the one praying, he said that. He said, and God, may our speech around the table be edifying into your glory so that everything we say gives praise to you. Amen. It has stayed with me because it is a reminder that in all we do and say, no matter who else is present, God, God is at our tables, listening, watching, ready to be in conversation with us. Are our conversations with one another worthy to be in the presence of God? When we imagine sitting around tables, do we save a seat for God? Because all of us can think of times when our speech just as easily turns to bitterness and slander as it does tender-hearted words that point to the grace of God. Paul tells us here in Ephesians, after this beautiful list of the ways we live and love and community with each other, that we build one another up, share grace and truth, even when it's hard, that ultimately what it means to be a group of Christians is that we are imitators of God always and everywhere in all that we do. This is a tall order. When I was growing up, there was a popular movement called What Would Jesus Do? Does anybody remember that? For a while, people had bracelets and t-shirts. Um, it was before hashtags, but I think if it had been in the time of Twitter, hashtag WWJD would have been trending. It was everywhere. But it was a good reminder to say, hey, and what I'm doing, is this what Jesus would do or Jesus have me do? I think being imitators of God takes us to a whole nother level. What does it mean to gather together around tables as if God were there, as if what we said was a reflection of what God might be saying? 
Now, as Candace said, Ephesians gives us a lot of rules, a whole list of ways we are to conduct ourselves day in and day out as Christians, especially around the ways that we treat one another in Christian community. This whole letter is full of that. But we'd be short-sighted to look at this list and see it merely as another list of do's and don'ts that we struggle to follow. Throughout this whole letter to the Ephesians, Paul's ultimate focus is on what it means to have a new, transformed life in Christ. He says it completely transforms who we are and then transforms the world. And as a result of this transformation, we necessarily orient our thoughts and our motives and our actions and our speech toward what is good and holy and reflective of God's love through Jesus Christ. Now, we are not going to be perfect at this. In fact, right here in this passage, Paul admits that there are still thieves as part of Christian community. You could insert any kind of sinful behavior here. But in the midst of our temptation to sin, from stealing to slanderous speech, we are called over and over again to turn around, to center ourselves in this radical transformation we have in Christ, and to live lives of love in all we do. We're going to fail again and again, but because Christ has claimed us, we have the grace and the freedom to ask for forgiveness and to do better the next time. And the picture here in Ephesians is not of some idyllic church group holding hands and all singing kumbaya around a campfire. Hardly. The point isn't that we all need to be best friends in the church or always agree. We don't even have to always like each other. The point is that in all of our human diversity and foibles, we do need to treat one another as if the image of God resides in us and resides in our neighbor, because it does. We're going to get angry, and we should. It's a healthy reaction when we've been betrayed or we've witnessed injustice. We see Jesus himself get angry in the Gospels. We're going to get sad. We're going to get frustrated. But our call is to say to somebody who makes us angry, the way you addressed me was disrespectful, and I'm going to need some time and space for a little while. What we're not called to do is let that anger fester, to not let the sun go down upon it, to be honest with our offender. We're not supposed to talk about that person behind their back so that rumors spread. We are to share honest speech that builds up, not just us, but builds up the body of Christ, as if we are making room for God to be part of our conversations. Ten years ago, I attended another meal that is quite significant in my life. It was our rehearsal dinner the night before our wedding. And there was standard grace before the meal. And then we ate and we drank and we laughed. Then it was time for the toast, those infamous wedding toasts that often uh, get filled with embarrassing stories or cliches or jokes that aren't that funny. But Kyle's father, who was hosting the dinner, opened up the floor for people to speak, but he began by reading this very passage from Ephesians 4. He said, So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. 
He presented these toasts not just as an opportunity for somebody to get a laugh, but as an opportunity for those gathered around us, our closest friends and families, to speak words of love and encouragement, to build us up in our relationship, our relationships as our families were merging, and our relationships with God. And they did. I had never heard toast framed this way before. I haven't heard them framed that way since. For making room for God around our table. It doesn't mean that people were sentimental or unrealistic. On the contrary, I think it made some space for some real honesty about challenges, about pain, the difficulty of spending your life loving another. But in that deep honesty, we felt encouraged and built up by that love that was surrounding us by the truth-telling. This is what we're called to do and to be as Christian community, people who make room for God in our tables and honest and loving speech. Each week in this series called Belong, we're looking at different characteristics of Christian community. And today's characteristic is accountability. As Christians, we are accountable, first and foremost, of course, to God for our speech and our actions, our reflections. And ultimately, this, of course, comes with a big heaping dose of grace. But also, as members of Christian community, brothers and sisters with one another in Christ, fellow members of the family of God, we are also accountable to one another to try our hardest to treat one another as God treats us, treats others in our community, whether we agree or disagree, like or tolerate one another, want to sit next to that person at the next potluck or not. Regardless, we treat one another as if we are reflections of the image of God. It's not an easy task. I'm the first to tell you that. But Christianity is an easy, new, and transformed life in Jesus Christ. It's not without its challenges. But the rewards, of course, are far beyond anything our minds and our hearts and our souls can grasp. I am increasingly disturbed by the rhetoric that surrounds us in our society right now. I am sure that you are too. I don't have to tell you the ways that bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, it just feels like it's everywhere. My heart is heavy by the weight and the depth of it the ways people are quick to demonize others based on whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, the stance on wearing a mask, and it just feels like it's getting worse after this year and a half of pandemic fatigue and politicization, social injustice and unrest, the national election we went through fraught with ugliness. I'm afraid it's brought out the worst in us as humans. And when Paul wrote, nobody could just tweet out an insult, right, or shoot off an email at 2 a.m. or broadcast Lander's speech to an audience of millions. They did, of course, write physical letters. This is a letter from Paul to this community. But as I was thinking about this passage and those earliest Christians, I was reflecting on the fact that most of their communication, it had to happen face to face. I can't help but wonder what Paul might add if he were writing to our community today, to people who have the ability to communicate without looking one another in the face. When our speech comes not while seeing another beloved child of God right in front of us, 
but when it comes behind our computer screens and our phones and text messages, even talking on the phone instead of actually being physically present with others, there's a distance there and it's just a lot easier and quicker to shoot off slander, for anger to lead to sinning and bitterness and wrath. Our ability to dehumanize one another right now is one of the many things that is keeping me up at night, that level of cruelty and willingness to undermine, to not seek out truth. We, have a, we as a society, it feels like, have no sense that God is residing with us around our tables. The church, the body of Christ, we're not immune. We're human beings, too. On the one hand, it's appalling that sometimes we let this kind of speech seep into our communication. On the other hand, because it is all around us, it's become pretty acceptable and sanctioned by so many authorities and institutions, and we all begin to resemble that remark. If we're not really careful, if we're not really intentional about doing better, being accountable to one another, treating one another with respect in Christian community. Friends, it does not mean that we always agree. It also doesn't mean that we're silent about our disagreements. On the contrary, this passage is actually calling us to share those disagreements openly and lovingly with the person who has offended us. As Jesus says in Matthew 18, go directly to the person who has offended you. Don't avoid conflict, but look one another in the eye. Work it out together. Paul isn't asking us here to squelch the truth, our truth. In fact, the whole Bible is one big treatise about standing up for what you believe, even and especially when others won't agree or you find yourself standing alone. God wants us to speak the truth, but to speak that truth in love, not in hate or accusation or rumor or slander, and certainly not in any way that diminishes and dehumanizes one another. One of the gifts of Christian community is that we witness a better way, a transformational life, a new life in Christ to the world. And so many of you do that so well as I look around this room. I wonder, I wonder if what the world needs most from us right now is a modeling of that kind of treatment of one another that Paul points to us here. It takes practice. It takes patience. And like we've been talking about throughout this series, it takes intentionality. If you've been in my office, you may have noticed that I have a sign that's right behind my desk. It rests on the window, and it says, I saw that, God. It's a not-so-gentle, humorous reminder to me that God has a place in my table, in my office, in my conversations, and what I type, because I need that reminder. It's that armor of God we were talking about last week. And in fact, this very week, um, I printed off this passage from Ephesians. Now I have it, too, sitting on my desk as this constant reminder that God is present with me, that God's image resides in each person I encounter, even and especially if that's not face-to-face. We might not, as individuals or even as a church, be able to conquer an entire culture of slander or change the rhetoric that comes from large news corporations. But we can. We can start with ourselves, try to surround ourselves with speech that builds up, and work intentionally so that our speech around the table is edifying into God's glory so that everything we say gives praise to God. 
Just imagine the transformation to our world if this, this is the number one thing that people knew about Christian communities that said, hey, this is who Christians are. I want to be like this. So then putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. May it be so, friends. This is my fervent prayer for us, for the church, and for the world until God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.